0: We're going to get ready to release for Children's Church. What I need is one favor. At 10 after, walk the kids back in here. Can we do that for the teachers? At 10 after, just walk the kids back in. Uh, We're going to have prayer uh, for our brother and our friend, Mr. Eddie. And I need the kids in here to do that properly since he has ministered to them as faithfully as uh, as anyone else this church has ever seen. So I would like to have him them in here with us as we get ready to uh, bring Miss Bernie up and to pray for them. Yes, ma'am. So 10 after, just walk back in, okay? We're going to release for Children's Church this morning. have to chuckle at the one saying bye mommy as they walk out the room that's awesome because at least they were walking out right (laughs) no dragging feet it's good to be in god's house this morning um had a great time in, in sunday school just interacting with people if you have time like on sundays we've talked about this in the leadership meeting but you know the sunday school classes they're back up they're back running And there's a lot of things that go on in them that just kind of build and attach and grow us closer together. So if you think about that, if you remember that, come in early, get here. Uh, Sunday school, um, even the small group on Tuesday night, listen, a lot of your questions get answered there because there's the freedom just to ask them at times, okay? Uh, We've also got uh, classes going on Wednesday night. There's opportunities to serve. There are so many things going on right now that we want you to be uh, not only... um, You know, part of of heritage, but we want you to be attached. We want you to be growing and being discipled. We want you to be able to ask questions, to have them answered, um, whether it's, you know, from somebody on the leadership team or just from somebody that's been a Christian for a while and that can be helpful. Uh, These moments mean so much to the health of the church. As we watch what's unfolding uh, in our culture, what we're going to find, and I don't want to find it out on the back end, I want to tell it to you on the front end as truth, and then I just want you to believe me. To make it through what is coming, we need to be attached together in small groups that are strong and healthy and grounded, okay? To watch what's coming, to watch what's un- unfolding. If you remember, even just the last time the stock market crashed or dipped or whatever it is you want to call it, there was a lot of suffering and a lot of things that were going on during that time. Now, we got people that are working through... Uh, job issues and everything else right now. Listen, friends, we need to be attached to Jesus' people in groups small enough to be helpful, to be discipled, and to be strong when those moments uh, come in your life and mine. Okay? So that's my, that's my warning. That's my promise. These are uh, wonderful times together, and I'm begging you all to, to take advantage of those now before things get a little more chaotic and it gets harder to do that. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 this morning. Out of many nuts, the burning bush, one righteous branch and the true vine. We had uh, 2 weeks ago we were talking about just just looking at Christ and I tell you what happened between then and now was just simply I was reading through the Old Testament and I couldn't get any traction on where I wanted to go next. We're on King Josiah. We'll get back to there, but I tell you it was just such a joy just to look at Jesus two weeks ago and just to uh, enjoy the goodness of, of God, of, of Christ, and not only look back for what he's done but look forward to what he's going to do that I just couldn't get out of that mindset. So we're going to take from now to Christmas, and we're going to do the biography thing, only we're going to do it with Jesus. and We're going to go into the New Testament for a little while. We're going to look at his life, and we're going to do that all the way up to Christmas. The problem is we're starting like with the Christmas sermon first. So, Merry Christmas, right? I'll be the first to wish it to you right now. Matthew chapter 1 is what? It's a real long, dusty word. How many people skip the genealogies when you're doing your reading? Just be honest. You can raise your hand lightly if you want, or just kind of wave it like this, right? You just skip them. Why? Or you read them like, uh, uh, let's see here, just go into R, you know, Rom, the father of A, and A, the father of N, and you just kind of read them through. We do the best we can. I tell you what, if it had not been for um, the Bible on audiobook, I don't even know if that guy pronounces the names right, but I would be a lot more scared to even read this passage this morning had I not listened to it over the years uh, on repeat at times. So we skip through this. It's not something that we think is important. But how many times can you miss the start of a book or the start of a letter? and know what's going on on page 2, page 3, page 4. So one of our Western eyes, one of the things that we miss is the joy and the glory that come from reading a genealogy. Because what this does for us is it creates uh, an idea of who God uses and how he will use them. And when we just skip it, we miss it. So I hope this morning as we go through this, you and I see that the same God that was is the same God of today. And if he uses people like this as the lineage to bring about the savior of humanity, what can he do with your messed up life and my messed up life? And what can he, what can he do with this church filled with nuts? Right? Because we've known for a long time we've got some wild ones here right the owl of misfit toys was one of the things that i heard when i got here like 10 12 years ago right that we were that owl of misfit toys and man the lord has worked and it's an amazing promise that we miss if we just go to verse 18 in Matthew chapter 1 but we're not going to we're going to look back a little bit we're going to be 2 weeks ago we talked about finding the joy of sharing your faith and what did we talk about there is one mission to the christian faith. Jesus Jesus gives it to you. Will you read it out with me? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen to 20. We talked about the idea a couple weeks ago that we don't lack the intellect, the motivation, or the courage to tell people about things that we love and enjoy. We do it every day. Every day, you go to school, you go to work, and somebody learns a piece of your life that maybe they didn't know the day before, or you've reiterated something that you enjoy, someone you love, or whatever else, and you've done it. You've done it with movies, you've done it with food, you've done it uh, with restaurants or vacation spots. We do not lack the intelligence, the motivation, or the courage to talk about things that are important to us. Now, some of us, it flows a little easier. Some of us are a little more shy, and we understand all of that, but we lack the the clarity, the consistency, and the conviction to speak about Jesus because we don't know him intimately. And so I hope the next couple months, as we look again at his life, you and I uh, get a renewed Joy from the idea that the God of the universe not only wants to know you but actually took on human flesh so that he could know exactly what we go through. As we have people that are sitting here struggling this morning I will remind you of that glorious fact that he is your perfect high priest in Hebrews chapter 4 and we're going to get there at the end of this sermon but I just want to start it with that idea why he is your perfect high priest because there is nothing you and I can go through that he can't whisper, I understand. And we know the value of someone that has gone through exactly what we're going through and to be able to talk to that person. We know that value. We know what it's like. You serve a God that understands everything. Why? Because he lived it. Pain and temptation... He lived through struggle. He lived through people that abused him and mistreated him. He was mocked. His family thought he was crazy. Like you can just go through the list and you can just check the boxes. He was betrayed by a close friend. When he needed everybody the most, everybody was gone. And so that's the God you serve. That's the God that I serve. That is the Jesus that has come for the glory of God and the blessing of humanity. So where were we? We talked a couple weeks ago about desperation and dedication. Those are the things that open the door to a deeper understanding of the God of the universe. And you and I get there by remembering, who am I? I'm a cherished mess. I am frail but immensely powerful in the will of God. Uh, On God's mission, I am immensely powerful. I am scarred but I am healed. And so are you. We are broken yet unstoppable. The mission that you are on in your life that God has you for in 2021, right right now, tomorrow and the next day, you are unstoppable until you complete that mission. That's what Romans 8 says. There's nothing formed against you that will prosper, that will push back, that will keep you from accomplishing what God has in store for you. At work, at church, in your home, in your community, it does not matter. You are unstoppable in the family of God, in the will of God. And we talked about when I understand who I am, it gives me a better picture of who he is. As Christ, he is the word, he is God, he is creator, he is light. Life giver, and he is the glory of God. And those things come out of John chapter 1. Revelation chapter 5, he is the one worthy to open the scroll. Revelation 19, he is the rider on the white horse that comes to dole out justice. And you and I are riding behind him instead of standing in front of him. So as we get started this morning, we get ready to spend the next couple months just looking into the life of Christ. What happens? What happens in human story that makes this even a need? It's the book of Genesis. How important that letter is. Genesis chapter 3, there is a promise from God. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, done what? Tempted Eve Eve tempted adam had them follow through because you have been a part of the of the sin and the fall of mankind cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field on your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life i will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel what is that that is the first promise that god makes that he is going to correct and redeem what has been broken And the language there is very, very important. The the King James Version talks about through the seed, through the offspring of woman. Now this blows my mind, how God works this concept out. If Adam is involved, what happens to Jesus? He's going to have a sin nature. So when God makes this promise, he promises it through the seed of woman. If we go back to that passage, what does the passage say about Eve's interaction with the devil? Did she sin or was she deceived? Man, I don't know how much grace is packed into that idea, but you and I are going to live in heaven for eternity. Why? Because God deemed their grace in deception. Because what does Adam do? He sins. Now, somebody smarter than me can try to work that out, but there is meaning and purpose behind the verbiage. Eve is deceived, and it is through her offspring that the Messiah will come. Adam sins. He does the exact same thing, but he sins against God. And because of that, you and I are born of his seed. And so the moment we can, we lie, we manipulate, we steal. And if we could, we would kill and destroy. We would do all the things that our father the devil does. But somehow in this story, God builds the grace of ignorance and deception into the story that would eventually be redemption. And so we're going to talk about the lineage of Joseph today, but that picture is based more for the Jews than it is for us because he did not come through the line of Joseph. The Holy Spirit in Mary conceived and made Christ That you and I may see him as man, may see him fully as man, may enjoy him, may be uh, redeemed by him. Listen, this is a deep theological piece, and I need you to understand it because it is mind-blowing. What God has done to make sure the plan of salvation, that you and I could be with him one day, goes all the way back to this moment, and God makes a promise through her offspring. He's going to bruise your head, and you're going to bruise his heel. And so our Messiah is not only going to come and crush the serpent, but he is going to come and be wounded by the serpent. He is a good, good God. The Redeemer was coming through the seed of woman. Matthew chapter 1, are you ready? I laughed a couple weeks ago at myself as I was reading through the King James for the first time and forever, and now I'm going to do it again, only I'm doing it totally to myself that all these names in here are just, they're just not real West Virginia friendly, right? There's, there's not one y'all in this passage. No hillbilly. Here we go. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah was the father of Perez by Tamar, and Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Abinadab, and Abinadab the father of Nashon, and Nishan the father of Solomon, and Solomon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheoltil, and Shealtil was the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel was the father of Abiud, and Abiud was the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim was the father of Azor. And Azor was the father of Zadok, and Zadok was the father of Akim, and Akim was the father of Eliud, and Eliud was the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Methan was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Joseph to the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born who is called the Christ. You did it. You listened to the genealogy for the first time. Next time, you won't even have to skip it. Just read through it and stumble like I do. Just do it with meaning and purpose like you actually know what you're doing. There's so much to unpack in that passage that you and I miss. What's the first thing we need to understand the genealogy, if we, if we see it with a little Middle Eastern knowledge, Matthew is actually saying to them, look at your king. Now, other places, you know, John just jumps right into the deep end of the pool. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you go through that passage, and you know exactly who he is talking about. Matthew is writing to the Jewish people. And what he is trying to do there is to look at them and say, look at your king. The line of David has been secured. Here it is, from Abraham to David. This is your king. And so when you read it like that, you see the importance of the very first chapter. If you have Jewish eyes or Jewish ears and you're listening to what's going on, somebody is looking at you and saying, this is the king, now I'm going to tell you his story. And so we get a little more... Wide-eyed. You and I would wake up a little bit more. We would get a little more passionate about what we were getting ready to hear. Why? Because we love David. And we love the idea that there is a king that is going to reign on his throne forever. And we are longing for that. We are longing for God to restore that. Why? Because David was a, a man after God's own heart. And the nation had never been as powerful as it was under his leadership. And so we would long for that. And we love Abraham. We love the story of Abraham. We love the hospitality of Abraham. We love the idea that we are his children. And because we are his children, the whole world is going to be blessed not only through him, but through us. Now They wouldn't necessarily have the same idea as to how that was going to come about as you and I do right now. But that is stuck in their mind. We are Jews. We are the seed of Abraham. We are the line of David. And these are important matters to be discussed. Why would David's name come up? Because God made him a promise. I will establish your throne forever. How about Abraham? I will bless you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham lived to be an old man, but none of us have met him. And yet your life and mine has been blessed by him. His life and his devotion, his obedience... And our founders, our, our mothers and fathers in the church that have blessed him and honored his name, that blessing has come down and you and I have been blessed by Abraham. You understand that part of the reason you and I are here today in this church is because this guy left a city to wander around the desert because God had a plan for him and his family, which didn't account for very many people because he had no children. So if we take a closer look, but what if we look closer at this list? Verse 2, I just told you a little bit about it. Who is Abraham or who is Abram? He is a pagan. He's a moon worshiper. He lives inside the city of his family. He lives in safety and security, and God calls him out. We don't know why. Much like Noah. Noah. You read the scripture, the Bible says, Noah found favor with the Lord. And then you get to the story of Abram, and, and it just kind of starts off with God calls him out. Like, listen, I got a plan for you, but I'm going to need you to pack up, take everything that's mobile, I'm going to need you to move outside the city walls. I'm going to need you to move outside of all the protection, all the things that you've known, everything else. The gods that you've worshipped, the God that your father worships, the God that your people worships. I'm going to need you to pack all of that up. And though you have no children, I want you to understand I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a nation. And I need you to believe that and I need you to do so in a way that actually puts a little skin in the game. Because you're going to wander around, and I'm going to put you in places that I'm going to give you as an inheritance, but you're never going to know it, you're never really experience it, you're just going to do it all by faith. Leave your protection, leave your past, leave your family, leave the things you know, pack up, and just go where I tell you to go. I love you, I'm going to bless you, those that bless you I will bless, those that curse you I will curse. You know, Abram is far from perfect, but he obeyed. He was generous and he was faithful. He's part of the lineage that Christ comes through. A couple times he gets a little scared and he kind of hangs his wife out to dry a little bit. He's like, oh no, she's not my wife, that's my sister. And so the Egyptian king takes her. And before the Egyptian king... Makes her his wife. God steps in and said, if you touch her, I'll kill you. Send her back to the dude that's meandering around out there. He got a little scared. I'm going to need you to give her back. Don't touch her. Actually send her out with some nice stuff. So God intervenes and God protects. So Abraham was not perfect. But he's struggling through the obedience of doing this massive thing that God has called him to do. It's not so unlike the moment of salvation when you and I are basically, we've we've had this life that we've known whether we were 10 or 40 or 50, you've had this whole life that you've known and at the moment of salvation, you and I are required to just let it go. Who we were, who we wanted to be, even some of our family, things that have been done to us, things that we've done, like all of these things, open them up and God may put some things back in there, but you have to at that moment just believe and God says, leave everything you know and do what I tell you to do. That's the moment of salvation. That's what it is supposed to look like. We need to be careful not to cheapen it. It's not a prayer we put pray and just walk off. It's a lifestyle. It's an army you've enlisted in. It is a lifestyle where your king is now not you. Your queen is now not you. Your king is Jesus Christ. He is on the throne and you and I are yielding to him. And so we have to operate that way even as we walk our young ones through what it's like to become a Christian. It starts with a prayer. It absolutely does. But the knowledge of what's going on in that moment, we need to deepen for them. Because they know a lot of people that claim to be Christian but don't look like it. When you read the story of Abraham, you and I need to see a piece of the story that we should be living too. This is not my city. This is not my world. I am a part of a heavenly kingdom. And God has me just wandering around, right, on purpose, walking me through my promises. But I'm never going to be able to set up camp and enjoy them myself. I am laying all this down for others to come after me and be blessed. One of the um, coolest passages in Scripture is, uh, I can't remember exactly what chapter it is, but it says, Abraham plants a tamarisk tree. Abraham plants a tamarisk tree. Like, that's a verse in Scripture just kind of placed there. And to hear somebody with with a Jewish mindset explain it is unbelievable. Why? Well, he planted that tree so that his great-grandchildren would have some shade to sit under. How cool was that thought? It wasn't done for him wasn't even done for his children. It would be his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren that would get any benefit of that tree that he planted, but he planted it anyway as a sign of faith. Abraham is in the lineage. He is not perfect, but he obeyed, he was generous, and he was faithful. How about Jacob? Pastor Don used to hammer this one. I remember the first couple times he said it. Every time the, the, the scripture says the God of Jacob, his soul just felt a little better. Why? Well, because if, if God can be the God of Jacob, the deceiver, the heel catcher, that, that scoundrel, then he can be my God too. Because whether or not you know it and whether or not you and I want to uh, verbalize it out loud, Jacob is our kind of people, Right? Nobody's nodding their head but me. I'm worried now. We don't manipulate or we don't deceive or we've never done any of that. We're not like Jacob at all. But what happens with Jacob's life? He grows. He's strengthened. He wrestles with God, one of the most amazing passages in all of Scripture. He even says he wins, which just will melt your mind if you start to think about it. And God changes him so strong and so well that he changes his name from Jacob to Israel. That guy makes the lineage of Jesus. And so we keep going from there, right? Like that's got to be the worst. And let me tell you, there are some other real characters. Look at verse 3 with me. Judah and his brothers. Judah and his brothers. Who is Judah? He's the brother that initiates selling Joseph into slavery. He says, let's don't kill him, let's sell him. We'll make a little money. Genesis 37. So he's the ringleader of selling his brother out to go to Egypt. In chapter 38, what happens? We see the redemption of Judah where he becomes a repentant man. And what happens in that story is he has two sons. Remember the culture. First son gets married to a lady named Tamar. He dies because he's wicked. She has no children, which makes her poor, and destitute. She has no son to take care of her. So in that culture, what would happen? Second son was given. Second son is given to be the husband of Tamar. He does a duty. God kills him because he is also wicked. He has a third son. And Judah says, when he gets old enough, you may have him as a husband. But just hold tight for now and just live, you know, like a widow. And so she does, and she's patient. And time comes. And he doesn't follow through. So she gets shrewd. And guess what? She has children. By Judah. She tricks him. So they come in and they say, hey, uh, Tamar's been unfaithful and now she's pregnant. And he says, we need to kill her. Stone her right now. Go get her. They go get her. Drag her before everyone so that they can level what they need to. And what happens? She produces his stuff so from 37 this young man is selling his brother for money to 38 where he is trying he is being a hypocrite he is being vicious and vile and he's getting ready to stone a woman to kill a woman that he helped cause her issue and she brings forward his ring and she brings forward his stuff and she says the father of these children this is his The Bible says in that passage that a wicked man repents and says, she is more righteous than I am. Judah is on this list. How about Boaz? Well, Boaz is the son of a foreigner. He's also the son of a prostitute. Who was his mother? Rahab. Remember the walls of Jericho? Remember they fall down everywhere except for one spot? And living in that house is Rahab and her family, why? Because she was desperate. She had heard the stories of the God of Israel. She knew what was happening. The spies come there to look at it, and she knew it was theirs. It did not matter what happened next. The God of Israel was taking care of business. And so she says, she hides them and says, save me and my family. Another picture of salvation. Complete And utter desperation She can see what's going on And it leads to faith She hides the spies What happens next When when the Jews come to conquer When God knocks the walls down She is safe And her family is safe And she is brought into the family And she marries a man And she has a son by him And his name is Boaz his mother Rahab was a woman of Jericho that hid the Jewish spies and was saved. She was an immoral pagan that became desperate for salvation and faith-filled for the God of Israel that could do it, that could save her. Boaz, who is he? Well, he is somebody now uniquely positioned to also take a foreign wife. And who is his wife? Ruth. What a story. What a beautiful story. Who is Ruth? Well, she's a Moabite. Again, a Gentile. She refused to do the easy and the normal thing. She clung to Naomi in destitution, but held on long enough to find a godly husband, sons of stature, and found her way into the lineage of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So here's this foreigner, this outsider, brought into the fold, brought into the family, and she is listed of all the people in all the world, for all time, she is one of the people that makes the list. Is that not fascinating? She was a Moabite, a Gentile, an outcast. But instead of leaving Naomi and just letting her go back and and be uh, broke and poor and be a widow by herself and have nothing to go to, Ruth does not do that. She does the godly thing and hangs on. Where you go, I'll go. Remember that story? Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. What a glorious story. She makes it. How about verse 6? Jesse. Who is Jesse? He is the father of David. So he's obviously the overlooker of little things. Remember when they parade all the sons out, and Samuel says, one of your sons is going to be king. And David parades them all out, and nobody, the Holy Spirit, has said nobody, nobody's king yet. And Samuel looks at Jesse and says, is this all of them? he says, no, I I got another son out there tending sheep. He's the youngest, right, a little ruddy feller. They bring him in, and God says, there's the next king. We get Jesse, the overlooker of small things. How about David? We've talked about the story of David on repeat. David makes the list. He is a man after God's own heart, but he's also a warrior, an adulterer, a murderer, a liar, and a hypocrite. He's honorable, but he's human. Broken. Forgiven. David makes the list. In the the context of what we just read, Bathsheba's name is not even mentioned. Who is mentioned? Uriah. David has Solomon. By who? Not Bathsheba. The wife of Uriah. He makes the list. How about Solomon, the glaring fruit of a bad decision? Solomon's name is also tarnished. His his mother's not mentioned, but her husband was. His life is the is the glaring fruit of a bad decision, the wisest and most wealthy man to ever live, yet he found found himself swimming in frustration and meaninglessness. What do you mean by that? Read Ecclesiastes. That's Solomon's life. Solomon says, I have this. I have access to that. I have this. I have that. And it's all meaningless. Vanity of vanities. It all means nothing. That is the life that he lives. And yet he makes the list. His worldly wisdom outpaced his heavenly awareness. And he helped usher in the worst of Israel's sins. And yet he asks God for wisdom and God grants it. Solomon makes the list. And it goes on from there. I hope some of the other names that we read sounded familiar to you. Hezekiah, who's, he's the sick and grieving king. And God, he rolls over into his bed and he weeps. And God tells the prophet, go back up. I'm going to give him 15 more years. That's Hezekiah. How about Manasseh? He is the young king at the age of 12 that takes over. And he does many, many, many wicked things. And yet at an older age, he repents. So you get the young, the wicked, and the repentance. Josiah would be next on our list, and who was he? Well, he starts reigning at the age of eight. He is young, he is righteous, and his life is short-lived. We'll find Zerubbabel soon in Ezra chapter 3, and who is he? He is a godly rebuilder of the temple. These people are making God uses broken people. And some of you have allowed the enemy... So much time to pummel you with what you've done or what's been done to you that you cannot grasp that fact. You cannot grasp the idea that God would want to use me. These are the people that make up the lineage of Christ. And you and I think God can't do something amazing in you and through you. We dishonor him with our lack of faith. We dishonor the Lord. We dishonor the cross when you and I think that our sin is too big to give to him. The perfect sacrificial lamb of God. There is nothing dirty that he can't purify. And why? It's for the glory of God. It's that simple. From mankind's first moment, God gives attention, grace, and meaning to our lives and our struggles. From mankind's first moment, Adam and Eve are walking in the garden, and God is walking with them. They fail, and God clothes them. When he kicks them out of the garden, it is for their blessing. Why? Because if they can eat from that fruit and live forever in their sin, death becomes now the gateway to being with God without limitation. For the Christian. That's why the Bible says, Precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. Why? Because that's the first time you and I make entrance unhindered by our sin and our flesh. So he kicks them out of the garden. That is also grace. He sees Noah in a world filled with evil and finds grace there. He sees Abraham worshiping uh, uh, the moon and and living a pagan lifestyle. He sees Abram and he says, Come out, come out, follow me. I've got something for you. I'm going to make you a blessing. All of these things, every moment God has shown his finger, his attention, his love, and his grace, he loves us so much that his redemption story is filled through the brokenness of humanity. He uses you and I to build the kingdom. Now that, now that should make your blood pressure go up a little bit. The most important thing in the world you and I can do is not rear children or love our spouse or or. Ascend this ladder or do this thing or make a million dollars. The most important thing you and I can do with our life is help build the kingdom of God. We do that through our spouse and we do that through our... Those things, taking care of them without that knowledge of the ultimate goal is futile. We end the day and we've not done anything eternally to change their life. You and I are to be on mission and God is using us to build his kingdom. Instead of running from, he steps into our mess and brokenness that we created. The same nuts that he used prior to his arrival are the same he uses after real, flawed, needy, and drained people get used for the glory of God. You sit here this morning when no matter what it is that you're going through or what tomorrow holds, you need to understand you are one of the people that God can and God will use. He works in us, then he works through us and why is that for his glory and for our blessing Hebrews chapter four says this and some of you need to memorize this passage you need to have the remember you need to have the thought at a moment's notice to recall from Hebrews four since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus the son of God let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin let us then with confidence you don't need to grovel you don't need to cry and whine you have access to the God of the universe with Confidence. You walk into the throne room of the God of the universe with confidence. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive what? Mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Out of many nuts comes the burning bush, one righteous branch, and one true vine. You and I are used to build the kingdom of God just like they were to usher it in with Jesus Christ. As they come this morning to play, as we get ready to sing, as we get ready just to enjoy a couple.